Please join with me in prayer. Father God, um, how you have loved us. How you have made your revelation and who you are known to us. It's just been overwhelming this week. Lord God, we rebelled against you and we rebel against you and still you do not withhold your hand from us. Your hand remains upon us in a wonderful way of correction and rebuke and discipline as you guide us. You continue to make yourself known to us as we live for you and even, in our, even as we're in disobedience from, from you and from, from your ways, Lord God, you continue to direct our steps and to reveal who you are to us and you demonstrate your love to us by not letting us go. For you're the God that has covenanted himself with a really messed up people. Thank you, God. Overwhelm our hearts in this moment. Holy Spirit, just move. Overwhelm us with these thoughts of how you revealed yourself to us, how you've made yourself known to us, and how you loved us. Let us sit in that this morning, Lord God. May it convict our hearts as we study Hosea, as we continue to wrestle with the fact that we are, we are Gomer and not Hosea in this story. Draw us to this beautiful place of repentance once again this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christy and I had been dating, oh, I don't know, probably three or four months, maybe. Um, and then we understand that Christy and I started dating when I was all of 18 years old and she was 16 years old. And we were, went to the same youth group and the same high school when we were kids. And I remember she was uh, house-sitting for her grandparents in Tucson. And I went over there and we went on this walk and throughout the neighborhood, and we were talking. I remember I had planned this out just perfectly. Like, we got back to her house, and I, I looked at her, and I held her hands, and I said, I love you. And she turns to me, and she says, no, you don't. <laughs> Man. I'm telling you what, that, you know, you look back at some of the memories of dating, and that was one of those low points, you know? You're like, and I thought I had that all, and she said, no, you don't. And, and, and you know, it was, it was a powerful word said to me at just the right moment. Because, you know, I'd never had a girl do that to me before. You know, usually like, oh, I love you too. You know, and it's like, woohoo, great moment. No, Christy's like, no, you don't. You know, as we look at this book in Hosea, there's this incredible story. Incredible. God first accuses Hosea in chapters four, excuse me, the people of Israel in four and five 
of not knowing him. And last week we talked about that. And that word for know is this wonderful word, yada, which, which contains with it this you don't experience me. You, I have made myself known to you and that has not changed how you lived. That has not changed how you think. That has not changed your conduct amongst the people and amongst the nations. You don't know me. What's interesting in this book, though, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, that there's this beautiful section in, in verse, the first part of chapter 4 where he, he accuses them, you don't know me, and since you don't know me, you don't love me, and since you don't love me, you cannot be faithful to me. And it's this beautiful, if you look at the life of the believer, God reveals himself to you. You come to faith in Jesus Christ because he has made himself known to you. And when God makes himself known to you, it's not an academic knowledge. It's like, oh yeah, Jesus existed from about 83 to about 8033, 8034, you know, in some of that time frame, and he walked these... No, 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 no. When God reveals himself to you, he reveals himself to you in such a way that you see yourself for who you are truly for the first time. A broken, sinful person who has zero spiritual benefit and can do nothing to please God. And all of a sudden, this glory of Jesus Christ is revealed to you and you see him as Savior and Lord and you confess your brokenness to him and you begin this lifelong journey in him. And it's this beautiful, God makes himself known to us. Now, prior to God making himself known to us, can we love him? No. No. Because when we are, we're going to wrestle with this word love here, and it's not this ooey-gooey feeling like, like I said to Christy that day, right? I said to Christy, I love you. And it was all about this an emotional moment. And even in the Christy's like, even emotionally, you don't love me. I'm like, oh. You know, like, but there's no way for us to love God the way God calls us to love him and let alone be faithful to him. So God does the work, just like he does with Israel. God has made himself known to Israel. He, he took them out of the land of Egypt. He brought them through the Red Sea. He's doing all this work for them. He causes the plagues upon Egypt. He reveals that he is unlike any other God, and there's no God compared to the one true God. And he decimates the gods of Egypt. And he shows the, the Israelites the power of God as they go through the Red Sea, as he provides for every single one of their needs. Their shoes don't even wear out as they travel for 40 years in the wilderness. God just takes care of them. How many of you like some shoes like that? that they just don't, don't wear out. You finally find that perfect of shoes. And you're like, I don't ever have to worry about changing these out. They might smell a little bit, but you know, hey. But, but God does all these wonderful things and he reveals who he is to the people of Israel and he makes himself known to them. And the expectation is if he makes himself known to them that they will know him and they will love him. And the word here, as we, before we dive into this though, Hosea 6 verses 1 to 3, you see this wonderful plea from, the, from this righteous man, Hosea, for the nation of Israel Listen, if you know God, if you experience God, then come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has torn us. He has hurt us. He has brought us to our knees so that he can heal us. And he has struck us down, and he will bind us up. 
And after two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. Yada, to experience him, not just have an academic knowledge of him, but have him change our lives. And he is going out as sure as the dawn, and he will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. This is the proper response to when it to comes that, that when we know God. That we want him to strike us down where we need to be struck down in our pride and in our idolatry, knowing that he will heal our hearts. The prophecy continues against the people of Israel. Thank you, Stephanie, for reading for us this morning. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. The English language, just this is one of those moments that we're like, ah, breaking down on us, okay? Because we got this general term for love again. What he is saying here is he is painting a really drastic contrast. He's saying your love, and the word for love here is this wonderful word, chesed. Okay, everybody say chesed. And if you didn't spit on the person in front of you, you didn't say it right, okay? Chesed, okay? You've got this beautiful, and the people are doing it again. Okay, wipe off the back of your neck. Let's go on. Chesed, there's this beautiful word in the Hebrew that is this word for love, but it's not this emotional, lovey-dovey feeling, but rather it's a binding, covenantal, steadfast word. It's not something that's here today and gone tomorrow. And so when he says, this is your chesed, this is what you know of binding, steadfast, covenantal love, it's like this morning mist cloud. Catherine and I were, were driving down to Wenatchee this week, um, and, and the fog on the river was just beautiful. But as the day heats up, where does that fog go? It disappears. As the dawn is on the grass, you know, I went out and would golf with my dad and, and Ethan the other day. Elijah couldn't go. He had to go to school. Good job, kid. So I'm glad for you to make that decision. But we were out on the golf course early. And as, you, as you're putting that ball in those greens with the dew, the water's just spinning up behind it. And, and he's saying, but you know, as the day heats up, where does that go? It, it evaporates. It goes into the ground. It, it feeds and waters the earth. But it's gone. He's painting this beautiful, this is the picture of your hesed love for me, your covenant, steadfast, binding love, is it in the, by, by noon, it's gone. Which just runs so contrary to the word itself. Because the word itself is this remaining thing. It's not what God wants. God is calling the people of Israel to, to, to bind themselves to him, to love, them, to love him steadfastly, that no matter what their situation, no matter what their circumstance, in famine and in great prosperity, to love God, to bind themselves to God, that no matter what they face in life, they will always praise and love God with all that they have. That's what he's calling them to. But they've just got this love that on the... On the fleeting of a moment, it's gone. It's, it, it's here and then gone. And it's here and it's gone. 
Verse 5, therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge, yada, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I hear People say, oh, I, I, I love God. I'm a Christian. I love God. And, you know, I go to church on Sunday, and, and I put money in the offering plate. And, and, and I, you know, I, I help out serving in the nursery, or I work with the kids in, 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 in Kidville in the children's programs, or I, I sing on the music team. I, I love God. But he's saying, I don't want your sacrifices and your burnt offerings. I want your steadfast remaining love for me. I want your heart to be for me. I want you to walk with me in what you do and what you say and, and how you treat your spouse and how you love your kids and how you're a friend and how you're a friend at school and a friend at work, how you treat your employees. I want you to love me in all areas and aspects of your life. That's what I want. Take the religiosity, put it, you know, you get the aluminum foil balls that you shoot and practice with at home, kids, you know. Throw it away. It's like, that's your religiosity. Just boil it up, throw it away. Because your actions mean nothing to me if your heart doesn't belong to me. God wants our hearts. And if you're sitting there saying, well, I'm a Christian because I do these things, but do you love God? Do you desire God to be your everything? Because what he's saying here is you guys offer up these sin offerings that only heap more sin upon you. You do all these rituals and you think they earn you right standing with me, but they mean nothing to me because you don't love me because your heart is not for me. He's calling them to be a people with loyalty, love, He's going to go ahead and he's going to accuse them of several things. And this is where we're going to kind of go quickly through the next several chapters. You see, there's, there's certain aspects that define what I call hesedless life or loveless, true covenantal binding less love life. The first thing we see in Hosea 6, 11, B through 7, 7 is, is people who don't love God turn on one another. In verse 7, it says of chapter 6, all of them were hot as an oven. And so he's painting this picture of a kitchen oven. Now, this is different than what we understand because we just go home and turn the little daub, right? This is like they've stoked the fire. They put this wood in the fire, but they're not tending to this fire. And it is burned up so hot that whatever they put in this fire is destroyed. It's burnt. It's not edible. And they devour their rulers. Israel, the nation of Israel, had had this infighting. It wasn't other nations coming in and killing their rulers. It was they themselves killing off their own rulers. They themselves, oh, I don't like this guy. So, so somebody would sneak in and knife, so the, knife, knife the ruler so the other guy could rise up. Oh, we don't like this guy, so we knife this ruler. And this goes on. They, they've turned against one another. Verses chapter Hosea chapter 7, verses 8 to 16, 
We see that a people who are not known, who people who do not have this love for God, they look to other nations for their salvation. They look to other people for their salvation. I want you to listen to this one real closely. I think we as the church are often very guilty of this. We look to relationships for salvation. This is often revealed when we make these wonderful statements. If only I had this, then life would be good. Life would be right. If I just had the right boyfriend, if I just had the right girlfriend, if I just had the right spouse, if I just had the right kids, doggone it. Right? If my kids would just listen to me and obey me, then I could love God the way I'm supposed to. If we just had the right governor, if we just had the right congresspeople, if we just had the right president, if we just had the right rulers in this world, we could love God the way we're supposed to. But God's calling Israel to say, no matter what these other relationships are, love me. Be bound to me. Let me be your first love. I was reading in... This morning, it's just so appropriate, God, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is just, his big statement for that chapter is remain as you are. Unless you're burning, right? Unless you're, you, you, you got to get married, then get married. But, but it, remain as you are if you can. Why? Because I want you to love me. I want you to do your hearts to be bound to me. First and foremost, because relationships can so quickly grab hold of our hearts and become idolatrous. Where in which we stop worshiping God, stop loving God the way we're supposed to, because we feel like if only this relationship would meet my needs, then I can love God. When God is saying, no, love me first. Because that's the only way the relationships that we have in this world will be rightly placed and rightly aligned in our lives. He says in verse 10 and 11, the pride of Israel testifies to his face. Yet they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. Israel Israel's stupid and they know it. That's what's so crazy about this. They're stupid and they know it. They're in their sin. And they know the pride. Their pride is before their face. But guess what? They continue in it so much so. They know. They know the God that will rescue them. They know the God that will make this right. But what do they do? Instead of returning to that God. And in Egypt and Assyria are very powerful pictures Egypt, what does it represent? Slavery. You're rather returned to slavery, which is very interesting because that's exactly what they're in. When we don't love God the way we're supposed to love God, we have placed ourselves underneath the shackles of sin and shame once again. Israel would rather return back to Egypt and, and return back to being following Egypt, slavery, and which is past tense, and turn to future tense slavery in Assyria. That's what those nations represent to them. They'd rather turn to them than repent and love God the way they're supposed to. 
when our hearts are not for God, this describes us. And I know some of us in this room are struggling with this. You're stupid in sin. I don't know how else to put it, but we're just stupid in sin. We're going to, I'm sinning against God and I'm going to just keep on doing Eyes closed, walking down the path. We can't see nothing. We're tripping and falling other way. We're beat up, broken, skinned up, but we don't care because guess what? My pride, I won't confess this. I won't break down. I will find my way out of this when God is just saying, repent. Be broken over your sin and love me once again and I will be. Remember that wonderful language that's used at the end of chapter 5? I will speak tenderly to you. I will draw you back in. When we don't love God the way we're supposed to, we just flat out reject God's authority. We don't want his authority in our lives. We stop seeing him as the good father. That, that is a huge question mark in our mind. We talk about the four G's of God. God is great, glorious, good, and gracious. But when we don't love God, there is a huge question mark. God is good? We stop believing that. And so we don't want his authority, his greatness over our lives because we've drawn into the question, is he really the good father? Is he really loving towards us? When we stop loving him, Hosea 8.4, and they made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. How many of you, when we go to vote in this nation, and you'll not hear me from the pulpit, like say, go vote for this person. But what you'll hear me say is you better vote along biblical Christian values. And let me tell you something. Abortion is not a question mark. It's wrong. Okay? So if you're on the bubble on that one, let me help you off the bubble on that one. That's murder. And God is the one who gives life. But when we start saying, I will establish my own kings, I will establish my own authority, along whose lines are we establishing that? My desires, my wants, what feels good to me. And we find ourselves in America where we're at today. Because instead of before we go to the voting, before we start talking about the future elected officials, are we on our knees? God, give me discernment. God, give me wisdom. Let me see through the stinking media that nobody's painting a true picture of what they are. Everybody's spinning something. This is a day and age when we need to be led by the Holy Spirit more than ever. Do we believe God will speak to us about who we should be voting for, who we should be electing as our officials? We've, we live in this country that gives us that right, but are we a people that are seeking God? Let your people, let you, who you want in authority be, and let me go to the booth and vote along your lines, not my wants, not my needs. We, we love God so much, and we want to be bound to him so much that especially in this area of our lives that we're like, yes, reign in how I vote too. Reign in how I see authority. You know, one of those passages in Scripture that still just makes my head shake, like, because we don't get it. But when he turns to the slave, and in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, hey, if you're in slavery, when you come to faith, remain in slavery. But no, you're free in Jesus Christ. What? 
Like, shouldn't the biggest thing is that guy gets set free from that bond of slavery? No. The biggest thing is they know that they're free spiritually in Jesus Christ so they can remain as first slave and see that as God's opportunity for his glory. Do we see our jobs that way? Do we see God's authority that way? Romans 15 makes it pretty clear. All authority is appointed by God. When we don't love God, we reject God's prophets. Hosea 9, verse 7. The days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The man of the spirit is mad because of your great iniquity and great hatred. The prophet is the watchman of Ephraim with my God. Yet a fowler snares all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. What is the prophet saying here? They're basically calling a prophet of God an idiot. Now, what are the, to reject the prophet of God? I want you to, to stop for a moment. When they reject Hosea's prophecy, when they reject Jeremiah's prophecy, who are they rejecting? Because they're God's mouthpiece. Because God is speaking through them. And it is God's words that are being rejected by God's people. When we don't love God, we don't love his law. We don't love his word. We think that this has now become optional to us. I don't really need to read God's word. I don't really need to be in God's word. If you have lost your desire and thirst for, love, for being in God's word, guess what? I would challenge that you've stopped loving God. Because to love him, to want him to change your life and to change your heart means that you want to hear from him. And the Holy Spirit working in our lives, the word of God and the community of God is how God speaks to us today. Do we want to hear from God? Because the Israel didn't. They stopped loving God. They didn't want to know him. They rejected the knowledge of God. And now their love for God is gone. And so they don't want to be in the word. They don't want to hear from the prophets of God. They definitely don't want to be convicted of their sin. Because Hosea is bringing it. He's bringing it hard. But he's bringing it in such a way that they'll say, yes, we have lost our love for God. And we want to love God once again. We want to bind ourselves to him once again. Hosea 10, people who have stopped loving God worship with the idol of prosperity. His, Hosea 10, 1, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. The altars that the Israelites built weren't to the one true God. The pillars described here are pagan practices being brought together and mixed with what God had commanded of his people to do. And the altars and the sacrifices they were making were a stench before God in heaven. As life got easier, instead of turning to God and rejoicing to God in the prosperity of the land, they thanked Baal, they thanked other false gods because their heart wasn't inclined to God. 
When we don't love God, we are, when our hearts aren't bound to God, then when we have good things start happening to us, then we, we don't give God the credit, for one. But two, we start desiring the prosperity more than we desire God. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. Prosperity without God is devastation and idolatry, and it will destroy us. Look at America today. You know, one thing about it, it churches where, where churches are being persecuted overseas, that is hard and that is beautiful, but they are not sitting there going, ooh, gee, do I want a Ferrari? Do I want a Porsche? They're like going, man, I hope I don't go to jail tomorrow, but if I go to jail, Lord, give me the ability to, to, to worship you and glorify you even in that moment. But in America, the Christian's biggest question every day seems to be is, will I love God? Well, if he gives me what I want, if he gives me what I think is best for my life, I'll love him. And it goes back to that statement that God made against Israel at the very beginning where he says, your hesed, your love, your covenant binding love is this mist that comes and goes and it's gone by the heat of the day. We gotta have a love that remains that no matter what happens in, in prosperity or in famine, we're sitting there going, I love you, God. And I'm in famine because you, you, this is hard, but good. And it'll be for your glory because I'm your child. God wants us to love him, have our hearts bound to him, that no matter what we face every single day, so that we will not be a people that reject God's word. We'll not be a people that runs to idolatry. We will not reject God's authority. We will not turn on one another. We will not be a people who look for our own salvation, but we know salvation is only possible through our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this section concludes once again. It's just this beautiful statement of God tenderly speaking to Israel. Hosea 11.3, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and I fed them. Hebrews 11.10 And they shall go after the Lord and he will roar like a lion when he roars and his children shall come trembling from the west. What a beautiful picture. I mean, you've been, I remember when uh, I came home from Kuwait, I'd been gone on an appointment for four months and God had just done a great work in my life during that time. And I came back to my family. And it was so funny because Ethan was trying to walk at that time. And, and every time Ethan would stand up to try to walk, Christy would push him down. And she's like, you can't walk before your dad gets home. So, um, <clears throat> and so I remember uh, I'd come home and we were sitting there. And, and it, was a, it was a hard homecoming because initially, you know, that night that I got home, Ethan was like, we didn't want anything to do with me. I'd been gone for a long time. And I just remember being at home that morning and just grabbing Ethan and giving him a hug. And he started to come to me again and stood him up on his feet and off he went. And then I proceeded to knock him down with pillows. Um, <clears throat> that's a different story for a different time. But 
it was so beautiful. And, but Ethan, you know, little toddlers, when they're walking around, they're clumsy, they fall down. And you just get this beautiful picture of, of the father just coming behind me from like, you fumble, you fall, you're trying to walk, you're trying to love me, you're trying to know me, and you're falling down. And I will be there to pick you back up. Contrast that picture with just, you've got all this judgment that he has just spoken of, this harsh judgment, this righteous judgment, this good judgment, because Israel has rebelled so much against God, and God's heart is to bring Israel back to relationship with him. And he's saying, this is going to hurt, but I'm going to be like that dad who just reaches down and he picks his little child back up, back on their feet, so that they can once again walk But he doesn't once say, but if you fall down again, it's over. No. He's a gracious and a loving God who loves with hesed love. Your steadfast, all the Psalms are just filled with this. Your steadfast, the steadfast love of the Lord endures permanently, forever. Not temporarily, not now and then, forever. He calls them out. He, he shows them how many different ways that they have not loved him rightly. And he says to me, just repent. Just repent. And I'll be the father that picks you back up. He goes on to say in, this, in 10 and 11 that he, God's going to be this roaring lion. And this roaring lion, is this roar is the pronouncement to come home. And what a great picture. And when he roars, his children will come trembling. I love it. I love it. A broken people returning. Listen, when we repent of our sin, sin stinks. Sin is gross. It's nasty stuff. There's no white lie, little lie. There's no gray sin. There's sin. And it's gross and it's disgusting. And these people come back as a people who've been repentant of their sin. They're broken. They're coming before a holy God and they're trembling as they're coming because they know that they've been a people that have been wrong. Do we come back before God when we recognize that we've been in sin? We recognize that some things have stopped us from loving God the way we should love God. To be bound in relationship to be him. To be covenanted to him. Things that have broken that covenant. When we see that we have been a people who've broken that covenant, do we come before God like, well, God, sorry about that. But really, you know, uh, finances were hard. The kids were screaming. My wife was annoying, you know. I'm sorry about that. Or do we come back on our knees before God, trembling, going, God, you are the holy, righteous, pure God. And I have sinned against you. And I want to love you the way you have loved me. While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And I want to bind myself to you and you only. That everything I have, that all my relationships, that the authorities that you have appointed over me, Lord God, that all of those things I see through the lens of Jesus Christ, the great prophet. And I worship you through it all, and I love you through it all, and I bind my heart to you through it all. 
Verse 11, and they shall come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from the land of Assyria. I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. There's a great promise, once again, that God gives to Israel and gives to us. And that great promise is, when we wander, God will bring us home. He will bring us home because we're his. And he is the great shepherd. And the great shepherd of the sheep carries this wonderful staff. That wonderful staff has the ability to lovingly draw us back and smack us over the top of the head. And he will do whatever's necessary to grab hold of the hearts of his people and say, come home. That's what God's promising Israel here. And which is really good because if you've studied in 2 Kings, the history of Israel, it's a, it's a horrible history. And it gives me a lot of hope. A lot of hope. Like if God's going to draw those people back into relationship with him, there's hope for me yet. And I want to ask you this morning, is God calling your heart home? Where have you stopped loving God? Where have you stopped binding yourself to him? Saying I want God. So when I talk about God binding our heart, it is beautiful. In the New Testament, we learn that Christ is our king. And that the kingdom has come when Jesus Christ came. And the kingdom dwells in the hearts and lives of the believers of Jesus Christ. He dwells in the hearts and the lives of his church. You see, there's this beautiful picture John shared with us last week that Glenn has just been repeatedly talking to me about, and that's this picture of the bride. And I want you to understand something. It's not the bride and the bridegroom viewed from today's understanding of it. Because to be quite frank, we got a weak sauce in mar- idea of marriage, weak sauce idea of it, just weak. Back in the Old Testament, man, to be the bride of the groom meant that the bride had no rights apart from the groom. You see, there's no inheritance for the bride apart from the groom. There's no future lineage apart from the groom. This, when the bride and the groom, they come together and they be this covenanted couple together, it was this lasting. And so we as the church are covenanted to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who is the the head of the church, who is the groom of the church, and we are his bride. And he brings us into a covenant relationship with him. But I need you to understand, apart from Jesus, we have no inheritance. I can't have us thinking about the feminist viewpoint or the, what, how we view this today and say that's not very culturally correct. I don't care. It's what God said of the church. This is what we are in him. And apart from him, we have no inheritance. We can earn no right standing. We have no spiritual benefit apart from Jesus. It is in the groom. When the groom comes for the bride and he takes us to him and he calls us his own, we now have future. We now have hope. We now have family. He takes what was far near and he brings it and he makes it family. He takes what was hard in our heart and he makes us a heart of flesh and obedient unto him. And we are now able to to love him because the bride has called us his 
own. Steadfast, binding love that isn't based upon emotion, isn't based upon circumstance, but remains forever, that is permanent. God says, I desire that more than I desire your actions. So if we give of our time, if we give of our talents, if we give of our treasures, but we have not love for our God, they're empty and worth nothing. And when the refiner's fire comes, they will be consumed and burnt and nothing left. Do we love God? Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for first loving us. You demonstrated that love and how you have revealed yourself to us. How you have bound yourself to us. And Lord God, I think all of us can say this morning that we this week have not loved you completely fully in our hearts. And Lord God, we thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ that washes us clean from sin and disobedience. That makes us new. I thank you for our Father that looks through us, looks at us through the lens of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Who Christ demonstrated what covenantal love is, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You, God, have loved us. And we're a hard people to love. For we wander, we're unfaithful. We want so much to earn our salvation and, and do something right, but apart from you, there's, there's nothing righteous. We want to please the desires of our flesh. We want to accuse the things of the world when we violate obedience to you, when it's our own hearts, Lord God, that are longing to, to run. And Lord God, I pray that today we would be a body of believers that want to just lay down our hearts to you. For you to rule and reign in us that we might love you with this binding, steadfast, continual love the love that you have already loved us with. And you've made it possible for us to love you this way by the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells the believer. Please, Lord God, convict our hearts where we not have not loved you well. Draw us into obedience by your staff. Good shepherd Jesus, draw us into the fold. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
We're going to enter into our time of God stories. And as we go forward with that, I just, what was striking me throughout the message was just being broken by the Lord. Just the only way he gets through to me is by breaking me down so that he can build me up. And I just resist and I hold on. And and it's sometimes I'm thinking I'm doing the right thing by being stalwart and strong, steadfast in my stoic resolve. And I just, I want God to break me of that and uh, so that he can change my heart and use me more fully. So that's my confession and my testimony. And uh, I just open it up for others who want to share this morning. This message in, oh, Ruth. Thank you. I just want to share how God shows his faithfulness in what may seem to be just small ways. Um, The other day I was walking up to the mailbox and it's a little ways from the house and on the way back down there was a nut that laid, I found on the side of the drive there and I picked it up and I thought, oh, it must go to some equipment. So I took it down and and uh, gave it to Dell, and he didn't know what it was from for sure. But he th- checked the lawnmower, and when he lifted up the lawnmower to see if it went to that, the wheel was falling off. And had not that nut there, which I don't know where it came from, but God put it there. Had not I seen that and picked it up and he had gotten on the lawnmower, he would have been injured. God is so faithful in so many small ways and big ways, and I just thank and praise him for that. And I remember pastor saying, nothing is lost with God. And he's there for us always and so faithful, and I'm so thankful that he's in control. And I'm not, but I have to give that to him every day. So all praise and glory goes to God. He takes good care of his own. Thank you. Anyone else? I have one, John. Um, There are so many that I could share over the last few weeks and a couple months, but... um, we've been working with VBS stuff quite a lot. So that's kind of on my heart and we don't call them God stories, but in VBS, we ask the kids to be on the lookout for God. So we call them God sightings and uh, it's just really fun. You know, it's, Oh, the sun came up this morning and God did that. And that's a God sighting. And, and so just to be, to change our viewpoint and to look around and see the things that God does for us and around us. And uh, this morning, my heart was just really touched. And and uh, we were here and we were practicing. And, and back in the back, Casey um, was 
Sweeney. <laughs> he, he was helping us with the slides, and John was over there working with him, and, and Adam was uh, helping Scott with the coffee, and, coffee, and Scott was explaining how that whole thing worked. And to just see the elder working and teaching and just spending time with those kids, it was, it was just an amazing God sighting for me, and it just touched my heart to see that. And uh, that's my God sighting.